Well, good morning. It is Friday, 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 if you care. Uh, most of us don't. Most of us work for the uh, for a living. Uh, Friday, November 10th, 2023. Friday, November 10th, 2023. Slava Ukraine, Slava. PVTV, Political Views TV Podcast. That's what you'll Google to find me. Uh, tell your friends to Google those four words, Political Views TV Podcast, and also up right at the top of the search. Can I just say, in case I haven't told you this before, I really appreciate you coming every day. It's very nice of you. Uh, if you can, please bring someone with you today or tomorrow. Uh, that would be awesome. Uh, and you can tweet to me or, or X to me or post to me questions or insights or maybe you want to fight with me or sick your friends at me, sick your sick friends at me, uh, at Cyberclops, C-Y-B-E-R-C-L-O-P-S on uh, formerly known as Twitter. And don't forget, today is Friday, so don't uh, don't forget to look for that Friday flaming bag of crap left on your doorstep. That's when politicians throw something out there in the evening on Friday in the hopes it'll disappear in the 24-hour news cycle and nobody will be the wiser. That way on Monday they can just ignore it because it's not in the news. Uh, let's start as we usually do with the war in... Well, so, so let's start with some coffee. And then the war in Ukraine. <clears throat> Russian spokespuppet Dmitry Pesky Peskov told reporters on Friday that uh, Ukrainian officials must realize they will not be able to defeat Russian forces on the battlefield. That was today. Peskov was quoted as saying, it is time for them to realize that they will not be able to win on the battlefield. The sooner they realize this, the sooner the conditions for a peaceful settlement will be created. They always get louder when they're in bad shape. Russia is in bad shape right now. But I will say, Ukraine is defeating them on the battlefield in large numbers, uh, uh, three to one. However, Russia does have 100 million men. Uh, Ukraine has 40 million people, men and women, who are fighting. Uh, The UK's Ministry of Defense said in a statement uh, uh, today, Britain has trained 30,000 Ukrainian men and women to become soldiers since the onset of Russia's full-scale invasion. Dubbed Operation Interflex, the program has provided volunteer recruits with little to no previous military experience, the skills to survive and be effective in frontline combat. Russia said Friday that its military had intercepted an attempt by Ukrainian forces to forge a bridgehead on the eastern bank of the river Dnipro and nearby islands. The ministry said in its weekly update that the assault killed 505 Ukrainian servicemen, while also destroying 18 field artillery guns, 15 boats, and 25 vehicles, uh, none of which could be confirmed. RIA News, or, or the propaganda arm of Russia, quoted Russian Defense Ministry as saying its air defenses had brought down two Ukrainian drones over Crimea and one over the Tula region south of Moscow. Reports from both the Russian and Ukrainian sides could not be independently confirmed. But of course, Russia also did not say what was hit. Uh, Russia's investigative committee, in an account of uh, day's fighting, said Ukrainian forces shelled the town of Skadovsk in Russian-occupied area of the southern region of Kherson. The report said there were dead and wounded in the attack. 
The head of Avdivka's military administration said that Russian forces were shelling the town round the clock, but wet ground from several days of rain was holding them back. He added, once the ground dries, they will definitely add advance. From what I understand, uh, they have uh, brought thousands of troops around Avdivka to uh, uh, invade. Russian forces have intensified their attacks on key points of the front line as they go on the offensive in Ukraine. Ukraine's general staff reported late yesterday that its military had repelled Russian assaults across the front earlier in the day, including around the strategic eastern town of Avdivka and Bakhmut. The update said 69 combat clashes had taken place along the contact line over the past 24 hours. Ukraine's general staff said in a Google-translated morning update on Friday that Russian military does not stop trying to surround Avdivka in east, uh, east of the country, adding that Ukrainian forces had repelled a flurry of Russian assaults. The general staff of the armed forces of Ukraine said in total... The enemy carried out two missile and 26 airstrikes, launched 62 attacks from rocket salvo systems on the positions of the Ukrainian troops and populated areas. Ukrainian forces are reported to have repelled 11 attacks near Avdivka, 15 in the Marinka uh, sector, and 22 in the northeast in Bakhmut. Six attacks were repelled farther north near Kupiansk. Uh, The update uh, from Ukraine's general staff reported a series of Russian assaults in the Kharkiv and Donetsk regions over the last 24 hours. Uh, Elsewhere, Ukraine's military intelligence agency said on Friday that Ukrainian forces damaged two small Russian landing boats in Crimea during an overnight attack using sea drones. The statement said the vessels were crewed and loaded with armored vehicles. The extent of the damage was not immediately clear. Now that I have your attention, let's move on and try and fix the rest of the world. Got a lot of stuff going on and not going on, forcibly not going on. We'll get to that. Uh, Israel is murdering Palestinians en masse and the news is getting out and seems to be unsettling to some who see the news. Imagine how fascists would handle it you know, if, if they were fascist, how it would be if they completely controlled what the people of Israel read? Imagine that. Israeli lawmakers passed legislation criminalizing the viewing of social or other media supportive of Palestinian resistance struggle. Imagine reading Mein Kampf and being jailed. You know, I mean... Hitler wasn't a great writer, but he did get a lot of people to follow him with his writing. Anyway, Knesset lawmakers voted 13 to 4 to amend Article 24 of Israel's counterterrorism law, which prohibits demonstrating identification with a terrorist organization and incitement to terrorism to include a temporary two-year ban on systematic and continuous consumption of publications of terrorist organizations under circumstances that indicate in identification with the terrorist organization. In other words, if you read the news and it happens to be about Hamas, you are breaking the law. How's that for fascism? 
The amendment identifies Hamas and Islamic State as terrorist groups and allows the Ministry of Justice to add more organizations to the list. And this is all part of Israel's right-wing government uh, uh, to dehumanize all Muslims. If you don't read about them, you don't care about them. Offenders face up to one year behind bars. Videos posted on social media yesterday showed Israeli police at the home of an Arab-Israeli woman informing her she was being arrested for allegedly sharing content that sympathizes with and encourages terrorist actions and supporting content that incites violence and terrorism. Please, please, someone in Israel, share my podcast and get thrown in jail for that. Adala, the uh, legal center for Arab minority rights, rights in Israel, said in a statement that the law is one of the most intrusive and draconian legislative measures ever passed by the Israeli Knesset since it makes thoughts subject to criminal punishment and violates the constitutional right to freedom of speech and is used to muzzle legitimate political expression. The New Israeli Fund, the NIF, a U.S.-based progressive advocacy group, said the counterterrorism law already has a history of discriminatory use, discriminatory use, and includes extremely blurry concepts that, if read broadly, could include the entirety of Palestinian society. Even before the current war on Gaza, Israeli's government faced international condemnation for designing humanitarian groups, excuse me, designating humanitarian groups as a terrorist organization. Uh, so, that yeah, this is really, really uh, fascism uh, 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 rooting itself deeply in Israel's government. Daily pauses? Really? Like like that's something? Is Israel claims it will implement four-hour pauses in fighting in parts of northern Gaza Strip each day. Are they really going to do that? I don't know. Already tens of thousands of people have fled from northern Gaza to the south in recent days as Israeli forces held brief battle pauses amid their bombardment of the north where humanitarian conditions have continued to worsen. Going forward, an announcement will be made three hours before each pause and a second route along a coastal road will allow thousands more civilians to reach southern Gaza. Uh, where, you know, of course, where Israel can bomb them. <clears throat> as they have been doing. And exactly how are these uh, are, are people without communication with the outside world being told? How are they being told? Israeli officials told the U.S. there will be no operations in designated areas during those times. But we've heard that before, haven't we? Israel tells Palestinians to do things and then they do and then Israel bombs them. That's what happens. That's the, what the history tells us. When asked how the pauses announced yesterday are different from the ones implemented by Israel, a White House official said they were a formalization implemented by Israel. A White House official said they were a formalization and expansion of what Israel has been doing for the last several days. So you're saying it's been happening anyway. So this is just a publicity stunt because the entire world hates the right-wing government of Israel for murdering 
10,000, and now 11,000 innocent civilians. Genocide. A White House official said, today the IDF is implementing these localized tactical humanitarian pauses on a daily basis. And they're formalizing that they're going to be carried out at predetermined times and locations which will be communicated in advance. The official who said the uh, expansion aspect consists of going from one humanitarian quarter a day to two, noting that Israel still reserves the right to respond if Hamas attacks and launches hostile operations during a pause. Uh, So wait, not only is it a publicity stunt, but it's also a lie and you're going to bomb people anyway. Okay. Israel's military has been downplaying the White House announcements, saying that the pauses are very narrow, neighborhood by neighborhood, and that there's no commitment to stop attacks in Gaza altogether for any duration of time. So this is really nothing, but the White House has put it out there as propaganda because of the immense unpopularity of murdering thousands of people. That makes the U.S. worse than the Israeli government that makes them complicit in war crimes because they're claiming this is, this is something when it's actually nothing. I, you know, sometimes I, I just hate the United States, don't you? Yeah, I, don't send me tweets about me hating the United States for ki- murdering uh, thousands of innocent civilians for allowing that to happen. By by backing Israel and not asking for a full cease fire. <clears throat> Moving on. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie will visit Israel on Sunday, which will make him the first Republican presidential candidate to visit the country since the October 7th Hamas attacks, since before that. Uh, the former New Jersey governor said he would meet with families of people kidnapped by Hamas, as well as is Israel Defense Force soldiers and Israeli government officials. He's also scheduled to visit so-called Gaza envelope region in southern Israel. Uh, Christie told reporters yesterday that the Israeli government reached out last week to invite him uh, to visit. He said, they said they appreciated the things I was saying and the stance I was taking. And if I was interested in coming over, they would be able to welcome me. And I made the decision to come. After he returns from Israel, Christie is expected to deliver a foreign policy address at the Hudson Institute on Wednesday and to further lay out his world view. So it's happening. We talked about it. Joe Biden and Xi Jinping are meeting next Wednesday in the San Francisco Bay Area. The talks will likely solidify each of their beliefs and drive a bigger wedge, even though the fact that the meeting is happening at all is viewed by White House aides as a positive sign after months of friction. U.S. officials said the leaders hoped to develop a framework for managing successful competitive relations between the two powers with the goal of clearing up misperceptions and avoiding surprises. These are the two big world powers right now. And while Biden was in charge, there have been two wars started, at least, uh, Ukraine and Gaza. He likely doesn't want a third in Taiwan. But remember, he is pushing aid to Taiwan in the Ukraine-Israel aid 
package. Xi Jinping can't be happy about that. The list of issues expected to rise in talks is long. It includes restoring military-to-military communications between the two countries, a chief objective for Biden, who plans to press Xi on the issue. Also on the table are the conflicts in Israel and Ukraine, areas of potential cooperation like climate change and countering narcotics trafficking, and deep disagreements over human rights issues and military escalation in the South China Sea and around Taiwan. Say it isn't so, Joe. Uh, I'm sorry, wait a second. Say it is so, Joe. (laughs) Wow, I'm really split on this. On the one hand, the announcement that Joe Manchin is retiring is great news. I can't stand that right-wing sociopath. On the other hand, it's bad news because a Republican will likely take West Virginia in the Senate. In, In 2024, there are 34 Senate seats up for grab, 23 of which were Dem seats. Democrats will be hard pressed to maintain, uh, the Senate, but with Joe Manchin retiring, that makes his Senate seat more likely to go Republican. I think there are 19 relatively safe Democratic seats with five of those swing. Uh, Two possible Dem seats for Ohio and Arizona, but a complete toss-up there. We could keep the same number, but no one is sure. Mark Kelly is a right-wing Democrat in Arizona, and the other is Kirsten Sinema, who is now up for re-election as an independent, not as a Democrat. Democrat John Tester of Montana could lose his seat in 2024, but I think Sherrod Brown is safe in Ohio. It's really kind of hard to tell. Uh, We'll know more as we get closer to the election. Uh, And remember, Ohio went to Trump in 2020. At worst, I, I, I think Dems... Uh, There could be a 48 to 52 Senate if we lose four seats. At best, it would be 54 to 46. We could gain two seats. We shall see. Uh, House Republican closed out the week by canceling votes on two party line funding bills in the span of 48 hours. I guess the Mike Johnson honeymoon is over. Republicans have again shown their dysfunction eight days before a government shutdown. They pulled a transportation housing bill late Tuesday as as some coastal Republicans opposed cuts to Amtrak. And they yanked a financial services and general government measure yesterday morning that included divisive anti-abortion language. There doesn't seem to be as much urgency in avoiding a government shutdown this time, and I think it's going to happen. At least a partial shutdown at first, because Republicans can't get their shit together. Moving on. That's in the House. Now let's move to Republican obstructionism in the Senate. Tuberville is nine months into his one-man blockade of hundreds of military promotions. In protest of an unrelated uh, unrelated Pentagon policy that allows service members to get assistance to seek abortion care, uh, any kind of care. Um, he's blocked more than 370 appointments so far. 
Senate Rules Committee Chair Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota, Democrat, said, uh, said Senator, uh, Senator Tuberville has not listened to those that are running our military, and he's not listening to his own Republican colleagues. That includes Senator Dan Sullivan, a Republican from Alaska, who says he takes this personally as a colonel in the Marine Corps Reserve. Sullivan said that Tuberville isn't just undermining military readiness, but also morale. He said, if we start driving our best flag officers out of the military, this is going to be viewed as a national security suicide mission. When it comes to rule changing, there's generally resistance in the Senate. But Klobuchar says the pressure from Republicans on Tuberville to stop his protest makes her confident that the committee can pass a new temporary resolution, which is scheduled for a vote next week. Senate rules allows Tuberville to hold up nominations all by himself, but a small group of senators uh, have introduced a measure, or has introduced, it's a group, right, Uh, has introduced a measure that would allow most military promotions to be approved as a group, uh, you know, and block with a simple majority vote. The measure would need to be improved by the Rules Committee before coming up for a vote in the full Senate, where it would need a uh, need 60 votes to pass. Klobuchar says Tuberville has blocked so many positions, more than 370, that the Senate doesn't have time to start from the beginning, even if someone got him to back down because there is a spending bill deadline. The Rules Committee vote will be held on Tuesday afternoon and would move to the Senate floor right after. We shall see what happens on Tuesday. So Trump's hatred and calling out of people publicly has caused some problems, including attempted murder of public officials. We saw this on January 6th. We saw threats of murder and bodily harm before that and since. And that is why there is a gag order on Trump to protect people. But he continues to harass regular working people everywhere. And if you need more proof, here it is. Federal authorities are investigating suspicious letters sent to election offices in five states, Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada, and Georgia. According to a bulletin disseminated to state and local law enforcement, the FBI said that in at least four instances, preliminary tests indicate the presence of fentanyl. Just coming into contact, certain doses can be deadly. An image of one of the letters indicates the intent was to end elections now. We are in charge. Uh, It's said the letter says we are in charge now and there is no more need for them. Then it says also be aware your ballot drops are very susceptible to noxious chemicals like AM slash BL, which I'm not sure what that is. And I have uh, I didn't have time to look for it today. They are uh, some somebody who's really good at chemistry probably knows what he's talking about. Uh, It said they are unsafe to the public. Just saying this is what the letter stated. It was printed like uh, from a printer. Uh, there's an aver- uh, inverted pentagram uh, or, you know, or star at the bottom, which is a symbol of a deep state Republican fascism. Most letters tested for fentanyl 
but one sent to Seattle tested for baking soda. In Georgia, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger confirmed that election workers in Fulton County were sent a suspicious letter and that no other counties in the state appear to have been targeted. A Department of Justice spokesperson said in a statement yesterday, we are aware of the reports and the FBI and U.S. Postal Inspection Service are investigating this matter. We have no further comment at this time. FBI offices in Atlanta and Spokane confirmed that they were collaborating with local law enforcement to investigate the incidents. Yeah. That's what Trump's hate. You know, it would be cool if Trump Trump hated my uh, podcast. Can you send it to him? Uh, Today, House Republican Conference Chair Representative Elise Stefanik filed an ethics complaint calling for the removal of a judge presiding over the $250 million business fraud trial of former President Donald Trump. The number three House Republican and one of Trump's most loyal allies in the House, Stefanik, claimed in her complaint that Manhattan Supreme Court Judge Arthur Angeron had shown clear judicial bias against the former president and displayed bizarre behavior during his high-profile civil trial. Stefanik also wrote that Angeron must recuse himself from the case, although the commission does not have the authority to remove specific judges. The letter from Stefanik, who is not a lawyer and has no relation to the case, could also be meant to support Trump's argument if he appeals any other anger on eventual rulings. But we all know what this is, right? Trump has a gag order, so he would have to get someone else to say what he cannot. Hmm, who can Trump get to spout his words? <laughs> anger on had barred Trump from making public statements after Trump repeatedly targeted the judge's principal law clerk on the second day of the trial. The judge later extended the gag order to Trump's lawyers after they repeated inappropriate remarks about the clerk. Trump has been found to have violated that narrow gag order twice, a $5,000 fine and a $10,000 fine since it was imposed. Uh, a total of $15,000 in fines. Stefanik called the gag order un-American. Stefanik's letter Friday echoed many, today, uh, echoed many of Trump's own criticisms of Angeron and James' uh, case as she urged the commission to sanction the judge. Oh, okay. So this letter says exactly what Trump is saying, and you're saying that she uh, wasn't in, uh, uh, in, in um, some sort of communication with Trump? Do you really believe she was not in communication with Trump? Come on. Her letter also targets the clerk, claiming that she has given more in political donations to Democratic candidates than she is allowed in, uh, to as a court official. Stefanik wrote... Judge Engeron's bizarre and biased behavior in making New York's judicial system a laughingstock. The commission's sanctions against Judge Engeron are necessary to bring back credibility to our great state's legal system. You know, I'm just thinking, if Judge Engeron or somebody investigated the communications between Trump and Stefanik, I bet they'd find something. That would be a... 
continued gag order violation. But let's see what happens. I'd love to I'd love to look at her communications with Trump and see what's there. Her private communications and see if she happened to say, "Oh, okay. I oh, uh, uh, Trump just texted me and told me to write this letter." Wouldn't that be interesting? How many times have you and I said that this fake elector scheme is the biggest part of the 2020 election scam? Much attention has been drawn to the fake electors schemes in Georgia and Michigan, where local and state authorities charged some participants for election crimes this past summer. But in no other state were there fake electors more active in publicly promoting the scheme than in Arizona. Now these Uh, Excuse me. Now, those fake electors find themselves under new legal scrutiny as the uh, Arizona attorney general announced a broad investigation into their actions and their public campaign that could open the electors up to increased legal liability. Eleven fake electors for Trump convened on the state Republican Party headquarters in Phoenix, Arizona, on December 14th, 2020. They broadcast themselves preparing to sign the documents allegedly provided by a Trump campaign attorney, claiming that they were the legitimate representatives of the state's electoral votes. In the weeks that followed, five of Arizona's 11 Republican electors, uh, as they called themselves, pushed an unusual, uh, unusually vocal campaign compared to other fake electors from states across the country for Vice President Mike Pence to reject the legitimate Democratic slate of electors. Instead, they called on Pence to accept them or no electors at all. All 11 electors took part in multiple failed legal challenges, first asking a judge to invalidate the state's results in a conspiracy theory-laden court case and then taking part in a last-ditch, desperate plea seeking to force Pence to help throw the election to Trump. The cases were dismissed of the 11 fake electors in Arizona. Five were the most publicly vocal. Kelly Ward, the chairperson of the state party, and her spouse, Michael Ward. State Representative Anthony Kern, then a sitting lawmaker. Jake Hoffman, a newly elected member of the Arizona House, and Tyler Bauer, uh, Bauer, a top state official with the Republican National Committee. Each of these five publicly pushed for the legitimate electors to be discarded by Pence on January 6, 2021. Uh, yeah, they're in trouble, just like, just like Michigan, just like Georgia. Uh, and they they may be uh, removed from office for participating in an insurrection. That's possible. That's possible future for all those state electors that were submitted in several states. Though uh, there hasn't been any uh, legal, uh, in some of the other states, there hasn't been any uh, legal, legal re- repercussions yet. A Georgia man has been charged with threatening to kill GOP representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, her family, and her staff. Uh, Sean Patrick uh, Cirillo, who's uh, 34, uh, 34 years old, a, uh, uh, of Macon County, Georgia, called Greene's office on Wednesday and threatened to shoot and kill her. The caller said, 
I'm going to murder her. I'm going to shoot her in the fucking head and kill her. Okay. Tell the FBI, you're going to die. Your family is going to die. Okay. How many times have I told you people, don't warn them. Just do it. Cirillo is charged with using communications devices to make threats, according to a spokesperson for the U.S. Uh, Attorney's Office for the Northern District of Georgia. Uh, Green released a statement. I won't get into the uh, get into the statement except one part. Let, let's let the sirens go by. Except one part when she said, "I'm not the only victim." With this threat of violence, my family is threatened. My staff is threatened. I even had, I even had to close my district office due to the potential of violence. It's wrong and never should happen. It's wrong and never should happen. I have a feeling that with her rhetoric, with Marjorie Taylor Greene's rhetoric, that statement is going to come back and bite her in the ass. Watch and see. Moving on. So now suddenly, the Willow Project, we've discussed a few times, is on. Yesterday, a federal judge in Anchorage ruled that ConocoPhillips' $8 billion oil drilling project in Alaska's North Slope can proceed, rejecting a pair of lawsuits arguing that the Biden administration failed to adequately consider the initiative's impact on the climate, local communities, and wildlife before approving it earlier this year. Willow is the largest proposed oil and gas drilling project on public lands in U.S. history. And you're like, wait, shouldn't we be moving to renewables instead of destroying the planet? U.S. District Court Judge Sharon Gleason, an Obama appointee, deemed the Biden administration's environmental assessments of the project sufficient and in line with federal law. The ruling was handed down a day after a U.N.-backed uh, report cautioned that fossil fuel expansion plans by the world's top producers are th throwing humanity's future into question. More sirens. Are they coming after me? Was it something I said? <laughs> Can I just say, there's no backsies on the death of the human race. In March, the Biden Interior Department, headed by Deb Holland, who criticized the proposed Willow Project when she was in Congress, approved what it characterized as a scaled-back version of the ConocoPhillips drilling initiative, drawing protest and criticism from environmentalists, indig indigenous groups, and the United Nations. Remember, remember how we thought Deb Holland would be good for the EPA? <laughs> I guess we were wrong. Uh, the, uh, the administration approved the project with three drilling sites instead of the five that ConocoPhillips wanted. Uh, but even the smaller version of Willow will be disastrous for the climate. I guess if the project was shut down, it would be, you know, it would be back up uh, under a Republican administration. It would come back up anyway if we shut it down. Maybe approving half the project stops that? I don't know, honestly. Not sure how the politics are working here. Moving on. Let's just face it. 
Big oil hates protesters because they call attention to what they are doing, destroying the planet. Oil giant Shell is trying to stop Greenpeace completely with a lawsuit. The lawsuit comes in response to a protest in January in which activists boarded one of Shell's oil platforms while it was en route to the North Sea oil field. Shell has given Greenpeace a choice between facing a full $8.6 million in damages or settling for a reduced charge of $1.4 million and a promise never to protest on Shell infrastructure again. Yeb Sanyo, executive director of Greenpeace Southeast Asia, said in a statement, Shell is trying to silence my legitimate demands that it must stop its senseless, greedy pursuit of fossil fuels and take accountability for the destruction it is wreaking upon the world. I will stand up in court and fight this. And if Shell refuses to stop drilling, I refuse to stop fighting for climate justice. A Shell spokesman said in a statement, the right to protest is fundamental and we respect it absolutely, but it must be done safely and lawfully. Shell and its contractors are entitled to recover the significant cost of responding to Greenpeace dangerous actions. While Shell has offered to reduce the damages if Greenpeace stops protesting its infrastructure, Greenpeace answered that it would only agree if Shell promised to obey a Dutch court order to cut its emissions by 45% of 2019 levels by 2030, which, you know, of course, Shell has refused to do. Moving on. Uh, and finally, an undersea volcano erupted off of Japan three weeks ago, providing a rare view of the birth of a tiny island. The un, uh, unnamed undersea volcano, located about one kilometer, which is like uh, six-tenths of a mile, off the southern coast of Iwo Jima, which Japan calls Iodo, started its latest series of eruptions on October 21st. Within 10 days, volcanic ash and rocks piled up on the shallow seabed, its tip rising above the sea surface. By early November, it became a new island about 100 meters, uh, uh, which is like a, a football field in diameter, and as high as 20 meters, which is 66 feet above the sea. That's, that's six and a half stories above the sea. One of two things will now happen. Godzilla will appear or China will claim the island as their own. <laughs> anyway, that's it. I, I Don't forget, today is Friday. Don't forget to fr look for that Friday flaming bag of crap left on your doorstep. That's when politicians throw something out there in the ether on Friday evening or maybe on Saturday morning in the hopes that it'll disappear in the 24-hour news cycle and they won't have to deal anything with it on uh, on uh, Monday and hopefully it escapes the Sunday news, uh, uh, the Sunday news shows. Anyway, that's it. Thanks for listening. Friday, November 10th, 2023. Friday, November 10th, 2023. Man, do I appreciate you for coming every day. Uh, bring someone with you uh, today or this weekend. That would be awesome. PVTV, Political Views TV Podcast. That's what you Google to find me. I'll show up right at the top of the search. You can tweet to me 
or X to me or whatever to me. Questions, insights, or come fight with me at Cyberclops, C-Y-B-E-R-C-L-O-P-S on formerly known as Twitter. And remember, always remember, government profit is measured by the betterment of the people. Don't you ever forget that? I'm Peter Lawrence, reporting from Los Angeles.